so just a disclaimer before we get into this week's episode, um, Shawshank Redemption is a movie that deals with sexual assault and suicide. We understand that that is probably not for everybody. If if you feel that these these subjects will be in any way triggering or bother you in any way, we thank you for listening, but we'll see you next time. The greatest movie of all time is a good thing, Derek. Maybe the best of things. Today on the podcast, it's the Shawshank Redemption. Hello, everyone. I am Rick Barrasso, your co-host of the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast. And I am the other co-host, Derek Smith. And on this podcast, what we do is we discuss a movie in detail, and we decide whether or not it is the greatest movie of all time. And... Yeah, we'll throw it up to you to uh, to give your opinions as well. Uh, last week we did Jurassic Park. Um, we got some good feedback on that. Uh, most people, other than me, seem to think that Sattler uh, and Malcolm did not have sex at the <laughs> end of the movie, but or after the end of the movie. But other than that, I think we had yeah we had, we had a, we had a pretty good uh, intro episode last week, and today we're going to something a little bit different, but right in the same time period and. We chose, like we said at the beginning of the episode, The Shawshank Redemption, which is the number one ranked movie on the Internet Movie Database. Uh, 9.3. That, that that's impressive. Derek, what – I mean, when did you first see this movie? When did you become aware of it? You were probably a bit young to see it in theaters, but – Yeah, I think I was like, I don't know, seven when this came out maybe, six or seven. Um, I don't really even remember when I saw this. Uh, I just knew – I knew it was considered one of the greatest movies of all time. When I did see it, I'm pretty sure it was number two on IMDb um, because The Godfather was number one for a while. And I remember saying, well, what is this movie, Shawshank Redemption? I remember seeing it and being like, wow, just wow. It it blew me away. Yeah, I I can tell you, I can't tell you when I first saw this movie, but I can tell you where I saw it. And that was on either TNT or TBS Mm. because this is ultimate cable movie i feel like it's even today now we are 26 years later believe it or not from 1994 wow yeah. uh, and it's you can turn it on and it's still going to be on tnt yes uh, so and i think that's that's a big part of this movie's legacy because it's i mean this is this is a great movie but it, it's almost puzzling to me you know of all the great movies the godfather the Wizard of Oz, Star Wars, all these considered classics that this sort of humble movie has you know, become the internet's number one. And we're going to talk about it and we're going to decide whether or not it is the best one. So, sure. you know, if it is indeed the greatest movie of all time, like the podcast title says. So, I mean, that's, that is interesting though, the, the, the life of this movie, because if, if you look this was not an incredibly popular movie when it came out and it did find life on cable. Yeah, the original gross was only $16 million. Right. 16 million. I mean, it came out during, we both know during a, the golden era of the nineties. If I mean, if that makes sense, like 
It could have been. I mean, 94 is a great year, and we're going to go over that a bit more when we get to our, yeah. to our Oscar. Yep. You know, our, our Oscar game there. It, it really was not – it's similar to – I mean, the only other movie I can think of that has gained this sort of second act from, from being on TV is It's a Wonderful Life because that's sort of a similar small movie when it came out on tv all the time and now it's considered an all-time classic Mm -hmm. but let's let's talk about what happens in the movie because that is an important part of what is the greatest movie of all time it's got to be good it's got to have interesting things happening and uh let's let's talk about this it is the story of uh of a man or two men really uh and their life in prison i mean at the beginning though we we do open with tim robbins uh he's in his car he's clearly drunk he's handling a gun and we you know, learn pretty quickly that this is Andy Dufresne and he is he's on trial for the murder of his wife and her lover and he's pretty consistent in his protestations that he did it he's pretty insistent that he is innocent of the crime but mm-hmm. nonetheless he is sentenced to two back-to-back life terms right after that we meet our other main character Morgan Freeman as red the first thing we see him doing is being denied parole and we find out that he's 20 years into a life sentence mm-hmm. and you know he's at shawshank prison which is a prison in the state of maine and it's considered of course pretty it's terrible maine. well it's stephen king of course and stephen king it's yeah maine. yeah every i believe every stephen king I mean, this is a Stephen King novella. We didn't actually mention that, but yeah, you know, Stephen King. Uh, it's it's part of a, a book of, of four novellas that that Stephen King put out, and it's it's interesting that this is maybe his most well received movie, but it's not a horror movie, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, terrible things happen. I mean, it's right. it's a it's a terrible experience for the for the characters in the movie, but uh, it's not you know it where it's like you know a killer clown or, or the shining where it's a guy right. match, but, but it's it's scary in another way you know it's it's not a horror but it's it's uh, it's quite frightening and it's 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 definitely on the borderline i feel like of sometimes a thriller but maybe mostly a drama yeah i i would classify it more so as a drama we've we've met our our two main characters here but in comes immediately maybe the most important introduction in the movie and that's morgan freeman on voiceover yes and we're going to talk more about this later, but pretty significant that uh, this is Morgan Freeman's, I believe, his first voiceover gig, at least his first major one. Mm-hmm. At at this point, uh, Andy arrives in Shawshank. He's got a group of, of new inmates with him. Red and his friends, and including probably most notably William Sadler as, as Haywood, taking bets over which of the first inmates is going to break down. Um, <laughs> That's such a good game. I don't care what anyone says. Like, I feel bad for them, but I would play that game. Oh, that's. I mean, I mean, <laughs> we we see that these guys are like, are, are just callous at this point. Oh. You know, they've been in there, and I, I mean, we. This is something that establishes what Andy really needs to break up and what he brings to the group, mm-hmm. because they're they're. I mean, they're all prisoners. They're all guilty of crimes, but they're like really shitty people at this point. <laughs> hey, you know what? Pack uh, of six. You know. Yeah, I mean, Red actually picks Andy because. You know, Tim Robbins in this movie especially is sort of tall and skinny looking and yeah. they can't really get a read on him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Haywood picks a, a guy who we never learn his name. You um, don't understand. I'm not supposed to be here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. And of course, I mean, if I were in if I were in fucking Shawshank, I'd be mortified. I'd be terrified. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd cry the first night too, probably. Oh, yeah. I'd be 100%. I'd break down right away. 
<laughs> um, the bus. Right, and yeah, we're we're introduced to to Warden Norton and uh, Hadley, who is a an absolutely psychotic and violent guard. Yeah. Uh, they are played respectively by Bob Gunton and Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown, great villain. Yeah, and but he he the heavy set inmate breaks down overnight, starts crying, and Hadley beats him to death. Yes. For crying. And you know, it's it's all the inmates that are kind of like they're taken aback by it. Like they're like, shut up, shut up, like stop it. Right. Like so they're, they're not I mean they're they're not cold blooded to the point of like having no, you know, empathy. They are kind of like a little bit stirred up from that. Right. Haywood's egging him on at first even. Right. Like, right. Hey hey fatty you yeah, let me introduce you to uh, to your new boyfriend or whatever he says. Right, right. So, I mean, the next morning, you know, Andy really you know, points out that we didn't even know his name. Right. And I think that's a bit of a wake-up call to to Red and Haywood and the rest of the group. Uh, I think he's just fat-ass in the cast list. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, well, that's, that's the thing. The character doesn't have a name. Right. Uh, and at this point, we I should say we meet Brooks Hatlin. He's the librarian of the prison. He is going to be a larger character as as the uh, as the movie goes on. But uh, he's at this point just raising a a bird that fell out of his nest. Mm-hmm. So very much a uh, you know like a save the cat moment. No, if you're familiar with that that term, because I'll be refer- I'll be using that probably as time goes on. It's it's just what it sounds like to prove a character is a good person. Show him being nice to an animal. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Makes sense. So going forward a bit, Andy approaches Red. Red describes himself as a man who knows how to get things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's the, he has this whole chain of, you know, people he's either bribed or, you know, befriended. And, you know, he can get things from outside of the prison into the prison. Andy finds this out, asks Red to get him a rock hammer. Red immediately takes a liking to Andy and warns him that uh, Boggs... Uh, mm. a uh, head of a crew of inmates who just live to rape. The sisters. Uh, the sisters. The, all they do is sit around and talk about who they're going to sexually assault next, but they have their eyes on Andy. Yep. Looks like Boggs is a last name. It's Boggs Diamond. <laughs> that makes Man, me like a, him even more, that's a, that last that's name. A, that's a wasted name. Like him even more as if, like, yeah, well, I liked him before. <laughs> no. But his last name is Diamond, so I, now. I gotta, I gotta say, Mark Rawson, who plays Boggs, he always plays interesting characters in movies. Um, he's he's an interesting-looking guy. Yeah, he is. He's got a, he's got a good face. It, it, yeah, but he's, I mean, to like the character of Boggs. Is like <laughs> I mean, he's a... He's he's the he is if we can keep track of the worst person that we've encountered in our entire series, it's gonna be Boggs. <laughs> Wait a minute, Boggs at least the very least says to Andy, "I could be a friend to you." So right off the bat, he's trying to be friendly. He's trying to like, well, I'm gonna rape you, but yeah, right, like if you just let me rape you, exactly. then it may not be so bad. He gives him an is, ultimatum. Is Boggs or Hadley a worse person? Ooh, they're up or there. Or Norton, I guess I would say. Like Hadley's a complete psychopath, but I think he justifies what he's doing. It's like, oh, these are just a bunch of just just a bunch of criminals. Yeah. But I mean Boggs is just like, well Boggs is a one track mind. In, he just wants to rape inside, people. outside, I'm gonna rape. Right. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Boggs probably gets the worst person in the movie award. That'll be a weekly thing. I wonder if he came up if he came up with the name on the spot with his buddies. He's like, you know, we should be called the sisters. And they're like, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I think probably other people. Yeah. I don't yeah. think I don't think P 
people call them the sisters to their face. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, Red and, and Haywood just talking around, sitting around talking. Yeah, the sisters, huh? Yeah, some, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so-and-so inmate from a few rooms down called them the sisters, and guess what? Now they're raping them. Yeah, yeah. So, unfortunately, Andy falls victim to this. They corner him uh, in a laundry room and beat him and, and, and sexually assault him. And this, we find out, happens consistently for two years. They just don't give up. They, well, I mean, he's a, he's a, Andy's a target for them. And at this point, here's my question, right? At this point, Andy and Red and this crew, they're friends. Right. If, if you came to me, Derek. I knew exactly where you were going with this. Right? <laughs> if, if you came to me, we're friends. Of if you came to me and said, there's a group of men who are beating and raping me regularly and have been doing it for the last year, even if for some reason, let's say the police can't get involved, I'd probably try to help you out. And you know what? And I'll take the other side of that coin is like maybe his friends were like, you know, what? this is just how it is in here and we got to save our own asses. Yeah, I mean, but like Red, Red on voiceover is like, I liked him immediately. And we're like... <laughs> Do you like him that much? That's the same, it's him. the same thing he says to Boggs when he sees Boggs get off the bus. <laughs> I liked him immediately. <laughs> he came to me and <laughs> Boggs comes up. Uh, Red, I understand you're a man who knows how to get things. <laughs> Been known to get things from time to time. Can He's you like, get I me some lube? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> can oh. you get me a, a pair of handcuffs and some lube? <laughs> Gonna cost it's fair to friends. say I like Boggs immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I mean, it, they're, they're close enough that Red pulls some strings and gets Andy chosen to help tar a roof at, mm-hmm. at this point. Andy, uh, we didn't mention this, had been a, a banker uh, before he um, was convicted of this crime. He overhears Hadley sort of just complaining about he's getting an inheritance and taxes because, you know, even, you know, even today, I mean, this is, this, at this point, we're in like the 40s or early 50s, maybe. Yep. Uh, maybe even less than that. We're, we're maybe, I'd say we're in the 40s. I think it's 47. 47 at this point? Yep, I'm refreshed on it. So even now, scumbags are complaining about paying too much taxes. Uh, so that's, that's a thing. Even today, they're still doing it. Mm-hmm. Andy offers to, uh, to help him out and with some sort of tax loophole that he gets to keep, you know, $30,000 or whatever it is. And... For the help, he only asks for everyone tarring the roof. There's a group of prisoners. Get three beers. Mm-hmm. And back uh, in his cell at this point, Andy gets the rock hammer, and he begins to carve his name on the wall. Sometime later, for some reason, and Derek, tell me your thoughts on this. Do you think prisoners today have movie nights? <laughs> I mean, what else are they going to do back then? Uh, maybe, I mean, movies weren't necessarily a new thing in the 40s, but... No, no, they've been I around. Know. I mean, but it, it was the one is, thing that you know. Is the, this the real? Is is well, yeah. I mean, the, the warden's an just the, he's a scumbag, uh, but he's just like, yeah. Well, we're just gonna we're just gonna play, and they talk about, oh yeah, I've seen this movie three times this week. Yeah, so I'm just having a movie, movie every night. And plus, the, the warden we find later gets kind of upset that like you know Andy's got posters of women in there, and he's just letting them right. watch these these movies and stuff that are kind of scandalous. It seems like anyway. For the time, yeah. For the time, yeah. So, uh, and the movie they're watching is Gilda, which stars Rita Hayworth. Andy 
jokingly requests Rita Hayworth from Red, who says, ah, give me a few weeks. I don't have her in my pocket right now, whatever he <laughs> says. Here's where we get a, a great scene where the sisters attempt to rape Andy again, and he, he has a scene, basically, anything you put in my mouth, you're going to lose. Right. And basically threatens, this is a movie where one character threatens to bite another character's dick off. And the, the best line in the movie, maybe one of the best lines for me is Boggs. Uh, and you're going to swallow what I give you to swallow. Swallow what I give you to swallow. He's got this like the, the knife he uses is like the, the thinnest, sharpest thing I've ever seen in my life. Looks like a shank that he made in his prison cell. I'm sure he did. At this time, uh, they, they don't rape Andy. <laughs> they, Andy goes to uh, the infirmary. Boggs goes in the hole. When Boggs, Boggs gets out of the hole, Hadley beats him until his legs don't work. Right. Uh, and he has to drink food uh, out of a straw, apparently. So so red hears, yeah. You know, not Hadley's a, a pretty terrible guy, but I, I can't say I blame him on this one. <clears throat> I mean, stick up for your boy Boggs, though. Did he deserve to have him to be beaten until he was paralyzed? I mean, it, it, I mean, let's face it. It took them a while to finally get to Boggs. I mean, like, you know what? He's been trying to rape Andy for two years. Let's give a couple more months and then we'll beat him. Oh, he's been repeatedly raping Andy. Like, you think Andy's his only victim? There's got to be at least like five to ten percent of the prisoners. Like, this guy keeps raping me. And no, so, 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 so you think you think that Andy was in fact raped by these guys? Because every oh no, he did. The, the line from Red, he says, sometimes he fought him off, sometimes he didn't. Oh, okay, so for some reason, when I thought that, I thought they just meant that they beat him half to hell, and the other times he can kind of like fight him off. But that makes sense. So you actually hear as the first time as the camera sort of pans around the corner or it moves around the corner, the last thing you hear Bog say is get his pants off. Okay. So at least that one time they, right, they, right. they do sexually assault Andy. Okay. Uh, and I consistently. I wonder but, if Bog, since his last name is Diamond, I bet you he's somehow related to Lester Diamond from Casino. Maybe. The Casino verse. <laughs> I, I think so. But, uh, so yeah. does Casino take place <laughs> – because all Stephen King, if you don't know, I'm going to nerd out with Stephen King. All Stephen King stories take place in the same continuity, right? So Shawshank Bob may have been related to Henry Bowers. He might have been. I, I believe, like, if Henry Bowers were to have been arrested before his mind was, you know, fricasseed by uh, by uh, Pennywise, it he probably would have ended up in uh, in Shawshank. Right. If he is connected to casino that means casino takes place in the same universe uh as the dark right. tower and the shining right, uh, right. Uh, but, but to answer your question i think that boggs did deserve it it was some cool heel on heel action oh yeah it's a big uh <laughs> big heel main event that <laughs> yeah night. exactly the the sister the the uh the still walking sisters don't bug andy ever again <laughs> and red keeps good on his word and he gives andy a poster of rita hayworth at this point Hadley and the warden go to Andy's cell and Andy ends up, he'd been working in the laundry room. Imagine having to work, by the way, every day you get up and go to work in the place where you have been sexually assaulted. I know that's, that's, that's rough. like, that is psychological torture. Right. But he had been working in the, in the laundry. He is transferred to working in the library, which is a sort of, at this point, a very small little, almost a closet with books in it. But we, we find that this is uh, just a front for Andy to help all the guards with their taxes. Uh, Andy, being Andy, begins a campaign of letter writing uh, to the state government to get better funding for the library. And at this point, we get maybe the most disturbing sequence in the movie. 
and that is when Brooks gets paroled. Yes. And we, we see Brooks who is who has been in prison quite a long time. I, I, I forget if they, they say how long. It's funny. Yeah. It, he, he, I was just thinking of this. He says 1912 to, um, he's been okay. there since 1912. And, so we're and talking he, at least 30, 40 years. Yeah. And he has an accent when he says it and doesn't have the accent for his movie. He's like a 1912. I always remember that specifically. I'm like, why does he have an accent for that one word? Yeah. But I digress. But he, uh, he cannot acclimate to life out of, out of prison in the, in the halfway house where they set him up. That he carves his name. He says Brooks was here, carves it in uh, like a beam, and then hangs himself. We see his body. Yeah, yeah Andy Insti- institutionalized. Oh, yes. Yeah. He's the 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 walls start to feel like home. So back at the prison, Andy actually gets his library funding, including a record, and the record is of the Marriage of Figaro, which is an opera. He is so trusted by the guards at this point that one of the guards says, eh, yeah, I'm going to go to the bathroom, leaves him alone. He starts playing the record to the entire prison. They all stand. They stop what they're doing. Stop, you know, the, the other sisters stop raping over the raping at that moment and just look up <laughs> and just experience this opera. The, <laughs> the inmates all experience this. And for a minute, they remember there's beauty in the world. Yes. So, I mean, we're hitting with, you know, sort of, yeah, within a few minutes here, we're getting hit by two uh, gut punch scenes, mm-hmm. you know, where we get the, the, the Brooks suicide and we get the other side of the coin, which is, I think, maybe Andy trying to, to raise the morale yeah. uh, of, of the prison with this. But he does get, I think, two weeks in the hole. Easiest time uh, he ever did. Easiest time he <laughs> ever did. At this point, Red tries to get parole again and he fails. Same speech uh, as the beginning speech. Yep. So when Andy gets out, the warden starts to involve him in a scheme where he is basically what he's doing is he's using prison work to undercut the sort of the, the area workers. Uh, and they then have to bribe him directly to get to, to let them make a fair bid on, on the work. The, I love the scene too, because Morgan Freeman's doing his over, you know, he's, he's uh, doing his narrative and he says that you may remember reading it in the paper of when, yes. and I love that because it makes it so much more real. Um, and it made me think at one point, I didn't, I mean, I, I don't think this is based on a true story. Um, and he, it made me think that like, Oh crap, maybe my grandparents actually knew that. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is a fiction. Yeah. It's kind of no, cool. Yeah. The novella is from Red's perspective. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, basically he's, I don't know who he's writing to, but he's, he's writing like, you know, in universe. Yeah. You might've heard about this, but it, he's, the warden is using Andy to launder this money and he sets up a false identity to basically trace all the money back to should, should anyone get suspicious. Mm-hmm. At this point we meet Tommy Williams and he's, he's a greaser. Mr. Rock and roll. Yes, he is like if 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 you picture like what would the Fonz be in real life, and it's like yeah, well he'd be a you know career criminal who uh, <laughs> you know wears a leather jacket and listens to Elvis and, right. and you know you know, goes to Sun Record shows and like hooks up with uh, you know the Pink Ladies basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, Andy uh, helps him pass his high school equivalency exam, and through learning more information about Andy's crime, he reveals that he shared a cell 
at another prison uh, with a career criminal who actually admitted to killing Andy's wife, admitted to committing the crime. Do we buy his story? I mean, he seems like he's serious about it. He's laughing his ass off while telling it. Um, but who, I mean, the, I don't know. I mean, I, I buy it. Yeah, I do, I do too. I do too. But I, I think it's, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm 95%, I, I believe, Tommy. Yeah, maybe the warden's right. Maybe Tommy's just making it up. He's kind of a scumbag. The, 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 the way Tommy presents it, though, it seems kind of genuine. It doesn't seem like he's like, oh, let me, like, let me, let me get this guy to like me. He was like, oh, shit, like, you, you, you're this person? Well, what about this? And it seems genuine, in my opinion. So Andy brings this information to the warden. The warden tries to downplay it and say, oh, he's just impressed with you. He's trying to make you feel good. And Andy says, well, this could be my one chance. Please stop being obtuse. <laughs> Best line, obtuse. Yeah, mistake, Andy. And then he mentions, you know, I'll, I won't sell you out. I won't, nothing is going to be revealed what happens here, which is a mistake for him to bring it up because the warden puts Andy in the hole for two months. Yes. And this actually is my favorite line in the entire movie. It's when the warden uh, checks on Andy, gives him another month and threatens to burn down the library, throw the books in a fire and dance around the fire like wild engines. Yeah. So uh, he's a, he's very, a racist. It's and... a very evil, evil line. That's just right. So and intense. well, let's, let's think about this. We've been in quarantine for, you know, at, at the time of recording a little over five months. And I've been going a little stir crazy. I can still like go into the other room. I can go food shopping if I need to. Yep. Imagine being in the same room where you have basically enough room to stand up and stretch your arms out and you touch the walls. Right. If that for two months. Hey, I mean, almost as bad as the sky cells in the eerie. There's your game of Thrones reference for the episode. Gotta throw it in there. Yep. We'll get one every week. We promise. (laughs) It always breaks. It always breaks them. And but, that, but that's even a then, little room. But even then, how long is Tyrion in those sky cells? That's true. What, a day? Two days? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Not two Andy, months. And he's in it for two months. And if he's not broken, yeah. what the hell's going to break him? Right. But at this point, the warden and Hadley murder, murder Tommy to, to keep this secret. And we, we've known now that Tommy, like, has a kid and, you know, he's, he's a bit of a scumbag, but like, he's, he's got a family he's trying to, to get out to. So, you know, it's, it's not like he was on death row anyway. Right. You know, as, as horrible as that would be. You know, this just, you know, the warden and, and Hadley are just fucking awful. And, 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 and to mention, you know, Tommy, yeah, like, he's a shitbag, whatever. He did some stupid shit. But he's, you know, he, he's, he, he, there's a bright side to him. And that's that I liked when he was like, you know, he's like, oh, the warden's like, will, will you testify? Whatever. He told me, like, just give me that chance. Meaning like, it's, yeah. it seems like he does care for Andy and he wants him to go free. Right. Um, and it's kind of a cool, genuine moment. Did not deserve to die, clearly. Right. Nor do, you know, any of our you know, protagonists uh, here. Right. So when Andy gets out of the hole, he and Red have that conversation where they're sitting against a wall. Oh, so good. Such a good scene. Right. And you know, really about, you know, the nature of hope and, you know, what, what they would do if they got out. And Andy says he would go to Mexico. He'd go to Zehuataneo mm-hmm. because the, the Pacific is a warm place that has no memory. He also tells Red that should he ever get out, he should go to a specific hayfield in Buxton, and he would find something there under a rock. And Andy also at this point, while he says, well, he didn't pull the trigger and kill his wife, he, you know, he drove her away. You know, right. he was not, he was not a good husband. 
And that, rock, and that rock has no earthly business being there. No earthly no business, earthly business being there. doing a hayfield main. Red is worried at this point, and he becomes even more worried when Haywood mentions that he had given Andy a length of rope. Yep. So everyone's a bit nervous, and Red, we see Red in the night having a just panicking and just, you know, being very upset that he believes Andy's going to commit suicide. Nope. Uh, but the next morning, uh, we find that Andy is missing from his cell. Uh, it turns out he used the, he stole the warden's shoes because not only is he laundering money, he's polishing the warden's shoes. Yes. I, this is the one scene I didn't really get was when he took the shoes. So you don't understand what happened or you don't understand? No, I, just, I don't understand why he took the shoes. Why was that necessary? Because he walked into the bank the following day with them. Gotcha. Okay. That, that's yep. neat. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. Right. So he stole, steals a warden's shoe. Here's my question. What did, he, what did he put all this stuff in when he was crawling through the pipe? And where did he get that? <laughs> yeah, that's – maybe they were really – Did he go to Red? This. Did he go to Red and go, yeah, can I get a trash bag? Right, right. Can I get a Ziploc bag? That's true. Good point. Why so, he picked why he picked enchilada night, we'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> so what, basically what happened is when Andy was carving his name, which we mentioned earlier, we find that a chunk of his wall had come out. He, over the next 20 years, because this movie takes place over 20 years. Yeah. And I think they, they mention, you know, here's the time, here's the year, every once in a while. But it kind of goes to show what prison life is like. Right. They all age well. Oh, they, they sure do. <laughs> so, but he's over 20 years has dug through this wall and he smashes the, the sewage pipe and just army crawls through 500 yards. He'd been covering the hole, by the way, with the picture, with the posters. Yes. They'd been getting, there was Rita Hayworth at first then Marilyn Monroe and then Raquel Welch uh, was the last one. Yep. He took all the laundered money, which was like $300,000 and he fled to Mexico. And he also uses the bank's mail to send letters and proof to the press that Norton and Hadley have been committing these crimes. So Hadley is arrested and starts crying. And then Norton commit suicide uh, in his office. Blows his head off right underneath the chin. Yes. The, that's maybe one of my, my favorite lines in the movie where Red, Red says, the last thing that went through his mind before the bullet <laughs> was, was Andy's fate or whatever it was. Yeah. Red has sort of mixed feelings. You know, he's glad Andy's escaped and that he's good. Andy sends him a postcard from a border crossing town. So uh, Red yeah, believes Andy has made it to Zewantaneo. But then he, you know, not too long later, he gets paroled finally because he is, you know, absolutely. Each time we've seen the parole scenes at this point, he's been very rote. He's been very, yes, of course, I'm, you know, I've been rehabilitated. Yeah, it's almost scripted. It's like, um, you he's, know, tr- he's, he's trying to bullshit them. He doesn't yeah, believe what he's saying. He doesn't believe what he's saying at all. And, and this time around, he's just an old man who just doesn't give a shit anymore. Um, yeah. And I think they see they see that, and they're just like, you know. Let, and that's what the system that does. Yeah. They, you know, they they put these guys out there like Brooks. <laughs> when, what kind of life can you possibly build for yourself at this point? Right. And he actually yeah. ends up in the same room in the same halfway house as Brooks. Yep. There's sort of the same f- job too, right? Yes, yeah, same same job. He's a bagger at like a supermarket. Now, Red, at this point, there's a fake out where we think he's going to commit suicide as well. But now, let me ask you this. 
Do you think that Red knows it was that Brooks when he like desecrates his suicide note? I think so. I mean, I assumed that. Yeah. Is he like, yeah, when Haywood gets out, he's going to really appreciate this. <laughs> yes. Or, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think so. I mean, it, I think it made him think, and it was like, oh, this is my buddy. This was him. I think, I think kind of a dick move. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to say. I, actually, when he says he's going to screw up his parole or whatever, I thought he was trying to get back to jail when he said that, when I first saw the movie the first couple of times. Well, there's, there's a kind of a double fake out there, because we see he's looking at the window th- and we, yeah, there's a, at, of a pawn shop and we see there's a gun. Yeah. But it, the camera keeps moving, goes to a compass and he buys the compass. Right. And we see him with the compass immediately afterwards. Uh, but he, uh, he actually, what he does is he skips bail or excuse me, he skips parole. He goes to Buxton and he finds that Andy had left him a envelope filled with money and a, yeah, basically confirms that he had gone to Mexico and asked Red to join him there. I love when he keeps looking over his shoulder every couple of moments just to make sure he's alone. Um, he yeah. does that twice in the scene, and I just I love the acting choice. Well, yeah, it's a great performance by by Morgan Freeman because he's he spent forty years, you know, in prison. You know, he's constantly, you know, I'm in my thirties. I can't imagine, <laughs> you know, another. You know, another few years, it's like, well, someone's always been telling you what to do, always been looking over your shoes. And, and that's one thing is, is like, always, yeah, the pee thing was like, I'm wondering, he was in his cell and he's like, I got to go pee. They're like, you can go, go ahead, go in your little urinal. Yep. <laughs> Have to ask. So then we, you know, get great voiceover where, you know, Red finally, finally feels like a free man and he gets on a bus and he goes, goes to Mexico. I don't know how buses work, really, in, <laughs> in you know, in, in at that time because, yeah, it could be different now. It could be the same. I don't know. But I feel like I could not go to a Greyhound station now and be like, here's a very specific small town in Texas. Figure this out for me. Is that, right. is that, I don't know. Maybe it's right. Tell me if I'm wrong. I've not taken a cross country, cross country bus trip. I don't know. I mean, and also you have to think that like in prison, words mean a lot. Conversations mean a lot. Back then it was all about, you know, having a conversation, listening to each other, active listening, because you know, Andy really put a lot of faith into Red to remember that city's name. Um, yeah. Red had no problem remembering it because it meant something to him as well. So I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. My question, though, he probably should have just said it in the letter. Yeah. Because, because honestly, if someone found it, like, they were, they were fucked anyway because, like, they're just taking <laughs> right. the money. He's like, well, yeah, exactly. They're not going to go try to find a, every, go to every city in Mexico. Putting a lot of faith in Red, but Red remembers – and we get the you know the absolutely incredible scene at the ending of the movie where Red gets to Zewatneo and greets Andy on the beach and they they hug and we just yeah the, the, the embrace is very emotional yeah, the shot just pulls out and it goes up and up and up yep and we see that they are completely free now yep and it's a, it's a great moment. So did we miss anything? Is there anything else you wanted to, uh, to talk I mean, about with the movie, Derek? With this movie, it's a tough one because there's a lot of like little like um, nuances and things that we could have talked about. But that, I think for me, that's a good overall summary of what the film is. Um, one thing I did want to mention is that there's some, there, there is an actor in this movie that I really enjoy. And he has like two or three lines in the entire film. And is, uh, the actor is David Praval. And he plays the character Snooze, who's a part of the gang. And he's, I guess, most known for uh, Richie April in The Sopranos. 
And it's just funny to me that he's got like two or three lines and most of the time he's just sitting there smiling at whatever people say. Uh, and I'm just like, why did he get this role? But it worked out. Yeah. Every week uh, or every episode, I should say, uh, we like to talk about what is the best thing and the worst thing about the movie. This could be a character, it could be a performance, it could be a scene, it could be a story element, could be an aspect of the filmmaking itself. It's something we like the best, and we also like to talk about something we like the least, what's the worst thing about this movie. So Derek, what do you have as the best thing about this movie? Um, so I'm, I will self-confess this, that I, um, I'm an emotional person, and I tend to I tend to cry in a lot of movies that are, are emotional. And I love that. I, I love feeling emotion from movies. And I feel like beyond the greatness of the acting, beyond the greatness of the directing, the, all the camera work and the cinematography, beyond that, I, the buildup to that ending embrace between the two friends is yes. like just incredible. It's incredible. There's no other word. It's just, it, it gets my emotion just, you know, it's just, it's brilliant. It's, it's just, it, it, the buildup to that one sequence is just my favorite thing in the entire movie. Yeah, I, I sort of zoom out a bit on that. And I, I would say the best thing about this movie, honestly, is everything from Andy's escape forward. From when he crawls through and he ends up in that river and there's the iconic shot of him reaching his arms out and mm, looking up at the sky. And from that point forward, you cannot touch this movie. Yeah. There's, there's not a wrong note played. It, yeah. It's just, it's perfect. Right up until right up until the hug on the beach. Yep. Worst thing for me was kind of tough. What what did you have? No, this is a rough one. I, this is something that was, I think, missing from the film. And it, again, I am nitpicking. I really am. And I, the only thing I'd like to say, and this isn't what a two and a half hour movie. I, maybe I would have liked to have seen a little bit more intensity between other inmates because we get the sisters. Um, and then we get then we have Hadley and the warden. Those are kind of like the antagonists of the movie. I would have liked to have seen what else happened in the prison at that time. Maybe a little bit more scuffles between a gang. I don't know if there was gangs back then. You want it to be more like Oz? Well, no, not like Oz specifically, but I'd like to see what other conflicts they'd get into. Not that Andy's already been through enough. <laughs> but, sure. um, you know, again, and this is me nitpicking an almost perfect yeah. movie. So. We're, yeah, we're, we're skipping around in time a lot. Like if, if this was Shawshank Redemption, the TV show, I'm sure there would be, you know, different characters and, and different relationships that, you know, Red and Andy had with them. Right. Um, I had, for, for my worst thing, I think just sort of the general, and we talked about this earlier, the general lack of reaction to Andy's sexual assault. Like it's yeah. not so much with the, char- I mean, the characters, yes, but also, you know, also the movie itself. He's... Yeah, we see Andy just kind of being like bummed out a bit, but you know that's I, I don't think we ever deal with <laughs> bummed the, out is one way to say it. Well, I mean, yes, uh, <laughs> that's, that's an easy joke to make, but the the uh, I, I don't think we see him deal with the trauma as much. And I, right. I think someone who had been consistently sexually assaulted for th- that long it, it would be dealing with it. But, I mean, Andy's a pretty unique, unique character. Yeah, so. and I wonder if the director thought of, like, okay, Andy struggles so much throughout this movie, especially when he gets in the hole for two months. Um, he gets beaten up by uh, Hadley, I'm sure, quite a few times. Maybe they wanted him to seem like such a strong-willed character um, at that point. I don't know. I mean, it's a question for the Yeah, and, and I think if they did dive into it, it very well could have become, the you know, a a, a movie about rape instead of a movie about, right, you know, hope. Right, right. Good point. But I, I, yeah, but I, but I think... 
I think if that were made, I think this movie were made today, there would be more made oh, of that. I'm sure we would yeah. see a lot of graphic scenes of it too. Well, I don't know about Especially that. If HBO, but... if HBO got their hands on oh, it. HBO, oh, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah, the HBO producer would be like, ooh, more salacious rape exactly. scenes. Yeah. yeah, moving on to something a, a bit lighter. Every week also, we like to award the winners of the movie, the people who benefited most greatly, who gave the best performance, who made the, the best career move or did their job the best in the movie and was rewarded the most for it. And we like to do that by giving out the bronze, silver, and gold medals of the movie. Derek, we'll start with you. Who is your bronze medal winner? That bastard Stephen King. Um, I mean, I'm not saying this was an afterthought, but like most people probably don't even know when they watch it that Stephen King wrote it. It's like, right. holy moly. I mean, he's such, I mean, come on. He's so unbelievable as a writer. Um, and he, this is like a novella. It's short. Um, and they made this into a masterpiece. And props for Stephen King just giving us something that isn't a horror that's just brilliant. Yes. No, I, I had Stephen King as well for my bronze. There, I mean, the last good Stephen King movie, really, if you look at it, before this was Misery, which was three years before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we go back to the 80s, there was, you know, just good Stephen King movie after good Stephen King movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it'd been a few years. And, and, you know, like we said, this is a, you know, this is you know, not a horror movie and it, you know, really, uh, you know, expanded the types of, of his stories that would be, you know, adapted later. So who do you have for silver? Silver. I have the director, Frank Darabont. Um, I think um, he was given uh, this, you know, St- Stephen King novella and he, he just knocked it out of the park. I mean, the, everything that I liked about this movie was like the camera work and the, the different scenes and the, the way things happened. Even the conversations were at a pace that were perfect because they brought emotion. He just did a great job directing this. Um, there's not much more to say about that, but he gets my silver. Right. No, I had, I had uh, Darabont uh, as well uh, for number two. I think we're probably going to have the same order. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, this is, this is his first feature length movie that he directed. Okay. Uh, you know, he he becomes a uh, a go to guy for Stephen King adaptations. He does the Green Mile. He does the he does the Mist a few years after that. Oof. You know, and he's he's always you know he's always in always in talks to do another Stephen King adaptation. But he also ends up you know this is his, the first step in his career. He ends up being the guy who develops The Walking Dead into a TV series. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think we know the answer. To oh, one more thing before we get to gold, I do want to give a shout out. Cinematographer for this movie is the great Roger Deakins. And like you said, every shot, you know, this would be, you know, if there was a, a fourth place, this is who I'd give it to probably. Because like you said, every shot is beautiful. The colors in this movie, especially that last scene at the end on the beach, yep. you know, how these shots are, are composed. I just thought we should take a moment to, to shout out Roger Deakins. Absolutely. But gold, I think we know who it is. I don't know if you have the same thing as me. Okay. I, actually, I actually have a tie. Okay. Um, and, I, I, okay. And this is something that I thought about because I was going to give it to Morgan Freeman. And I, I had to give it to Tim Robbins too because uh, th- their chemistry on on you know in this film is just amazing. Um, I gave it to them both as, as a tie, even though I think Morgan for me really steals the film. Um, this is my favorite performance by Tim Robbins in a movie. Sure. I think. I, w- I would say so. I went with with Morgan Freeman. Uh, I I thought about you know Tim Robbins was definitely up there. He he easily could have made yeah you know, he easily could have meddled, but I. 
yeah, I looked at their sort of filmography at the time, and this was, you know, Tim Robbins, you know, was sort of, this came sort of at the tail end of his, you know, his, his run as like a very, you know, uh, relevant actor as like a leading man. Right. Uh, he had a, he had a couple afterwards, but this wasn't like he did not parlay this movie into something as significant as Morgan Freeman did. I mean, not only is, did, did not only did Morgan Freeman give an ex- excellent performance, but if you're writing a movie and you're writing, all right, we need a voiceover guy, it's Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Right. Who? And this is, you know, the the ultimate you know Morgan Freeman voiceover movie. I feel like. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that leads us to our, our next you know, our next thing we like to do in every episode. We like to talk about now every movie can't be the greatest movie of all time. Only one can. We know that. And we're going to watch every single movie going forward until we find what is the greatest movie of all time. But I think we can say that every movie does at least one thing better than every movie. Am I right to say that, Derek? <laughs> yes, for sure. Okay. So what does The Shawshank Redemption do better than any other movie ah man this is um this is one that's um it does a lot of things really really well but i think the one thing that i think it does better than everything else in my opinion is it really shows um how a friendship can mold um in a sort of a uh, a deep dark place um and uh and like I said, the ending of the movie really, it just, you know, it just releases all that. Like, you know, they've been through so much together. You know, Tim Robbins' character doesn't even, I mean, I'm sorry, Morgan Freeman's character doesn't even know. He knows he escaped. He may, you know, he doesn't know what happened, the circumstances. Tim Robbins doesn't even know if he's going to remember the the city name. And they still come out, somehow get together at the end. And it's just beautiful. And for me, this movie is really friendship and loyalty. Um and that's that's the thing I think, I think is better the, than anything the, else. The, the best example of of male friendship. Yeah, I mean, and, and, I, and I and I and I there's some other movies that really really challenge it. Um, and you but know, I can probably, see that you know two yeah. two adult men you know being friends. Usually, male friendship in movies is shown as kids, basically. You know, yeah, it, it's, exactly. Yeah, I, I like that. So I would say this is the best non-horror Stephen King and it, it does have some competition but I think I would put it over things like Stand By Me for sure I agree with you and I'd, I'd put it over Green Mile mm-hmm. uh, I, I love both of those movies and yep. you know, we'll talk about them more in future episodes because again we are going back and watching every movie ever made ever made ever. every single one we'll have time we'll get to it don't worry about it mm-hmm. think of a movie if we haven't done it yet we'll do it, we'll do it. Uh, I also think it is it has the best Morgan Freeman voiceover not only is it the first one it's the best one. And we mentioned a bit earlier as well, this is the best TNT movie of all time. You wake I, up on a... I don't know if I've ever seen it on TNT. Does it do the film justice with all the cuts and stuff and the commercials? There's not too much to cut. But, it, I mean, if, if you're waking up on a Sunday morning and you throw on the TV and it's there, and it's there consistently, you're going to watch it. I mean, it's, it's, it, that, it, it, that TV just made up my mind what's going to happen to me that morning. Yeah. Well, so, okay. Well, yeah, this is, you know, it's on 10 a.m. on a Sunday or, you know, 9 p.m. On a, on a Tuesday. So they just throw it on. It's, it's yep. filled in. And that's, like we said, I think a big reason why this movie is number one on IMDb. Because so many people have seen it. And so many people have those good memories of just sitting down, flipping through the channels, 
and finding this and discovering this. Yep. Yeah, if, if, if anyone else out there has more examples of what this does better than every, any other movie, every other movie, shoot us an email. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. We're the greatest movie of all time. On Twitter, we're the great movie cast. On Facebook, we're the greatest movie of all time podcast. So, uh, you know, and uh, you can email us at greatestmoviecast at gmail.com. I think Absolutely. I got all of them. So yep. get in touch so with us. Let us we, know. We want to talk to you. So, so send we us definitely do. Stuff. So, you know, before we get to the end of the podcast, the, I do also, you know, every episode, we do like to talk about uh, the Oscars that year. Woo! What a year. What a year. 94 uh, Oscars. And, and keep in mind, Rick, I know you don't like me to look at it. I didn't have to. You just know it. I know, so, what's, I know what some of the big ones are. Let's put it that way. Sure. So, I mean, let's start. So there's only, I think, yeah, we like to, to look at the major categories. There's only a few we can really look at this. You know, there's no major female roles in this movie. Yeah, that is one thing that uh, maybe should have been the negative. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 think, I think so. That's mm, looking, looking back, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a story about prison. It's tough to get right, right. a female role in there. Rita Hayworth did the job, so. She did, yes. Just the scene of Tim Robbins staring at her in his jail cell, like, intensely, mm-hmm. like, that was like, oh, man, like, he hasn't been with a woman in a while. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this movie gets nominated for a few Oscars. It doesn't win any Oscars. Wasn't it seven that got nominated for? I remember it, reading that at some point. It got quite a few. I'd have, to, I'd have to look. Yep, Shawshank got seven nominations. I don't think it won any. But let's let's talk about the major ones, and, and we can see. You know, really, the only major category that did get nominated for was Best Picture. You know, it was up against the eventual winner, Forrest Gump. It was up against Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, and Quiz Show. An absolutely stacked year. And two of those, I don't even know. All all good movies. All all very good movies. Do you think it should have won? I'm gonna say I think that Shawshank Redemption should have won. That that is my opinion. It's very close, uh, but I think I think Shawshank does some things better than the winner, in my opinion. I would take it over Forrest Gump. I think I think when we do a Forrest Gump episode, it's going to be very fun because I, I that movie is I don't think it has aged as well. But mm-hmm. I I don't know if I could put it over Pulp Fiction. Okay. I, I mean, I think I mean I think as far as like epicness, that's what I kind of look at movies sometimes. Sure. I just see how epic it is, and Shawshank's like the the ultimate. Um, but yeah, I mean, how do you how do you compare anything to Pulp Fiction? Really, I mean, uh, right. you know, we'll get to that one soon too, and that'll be a lot of fun. But Shawshank, right. this is a triple threat match, you know. It is, and I mean, Four Weddings and a Funeral, and and Quiz Show also, you know, also excellent movies. Yeah, there there are others out there which we'll get to that you could make an argument that that could or should have been nominated but yep. um, yeah, it's for, for what's there it's it's tough we'll put out a poll on our social media we'll, we'll see what we if we can bump up uh shawshank to uh, to the winner yeah um best director darabont is not nominated robert zemeckis wins for forrest gump woody allen is nominated for bullets over broadway quentin tarantino for pulp fiction uh, Robert Redford for Quiz Show, and I am not even going to try to uh, pronounce the name. Uh, Christoph Kislowski, I believe it is, hmm. for Red. Well, this is interesting because Darabont took Stephen King's adaptation. You know, he took his he took his universe and put it on film. 
sure. Tarantino, I mean, he's got a universe of his own that's just spectacular. And sure. I mean, how do you for, beat Tarantino? Forgive, for, forgive me, Wikipedia had the, had, didn't have the complete title. It's Three Colors Red. Okay. So that's, you know, that's a, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely an episode. But yeah, go, go right ahead. No, I was just saying, um, I'm actually surprised that Tarantino didn't win the Best Director that year because, like I said, he is just, um, I mean, uh, without giving any cliche things, he's an A-plus director in my opinion. He is. So I think it was very much, it was Oscar politics probably at that point because, you know, Zemeckis had been around for quite a while and Tarantino at that point was like the young kid. Yeah, okay. Tarantino still hasn't won Best Director. Yeah, outrageous. Well, yeah, you could probably make a case for all of his movies to to win Best Director. Do we do we want to put Darabont in this category? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he took you know he he did the job and he did it great. I mean, that's just I, I, I agree. Know. I'm gonna I'm gonna make the case uh, because this is not his not his best movie by any means. I say we put him in over Woody Allen. Okay, I could take that. Let's. Not that I've seen this Woody Allen movie, but I'll, I'll, I'll. Uh, you're humoring me. Woody Allen has made some very good movies. He's made two stone cold classics. Uh, I don't think this is his best. And uh, also, fucking personally, he's a bad person. So yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's take Woody Allen out. Frankie. Sorry, Woody. So here's, I think, where it gets interesting. Morgan Freeman is nominated for Best Actor. Uh, he does not win. Uh, Tom Hanks wins for Forrest Gump, which is cleaning up. Yep. Although probably shouldn't have, in my opinion. Uh, also nominated uh, Nigel Hawthorne for Ma- The Madness of King George, Paul Newman for Nobody's Fool, and John Travolta for Pulp Fiction. Mm, that's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. This is here's best my, actor, right? Not best supporting? This is best actor. Okay. Here's, here's my question. Should we consider Tim Robbins for best actor as well? Um, it's a good question. Or do we get we bring to supporting? Uh, I mean, Tim Robbins is definitely not a supporting actor in this movie. He's, he's not. Main, he's, he's I the agree. the main character. So if anything, he should have been – if he was going to be, he'd have to be best actor. But I and think should that, um, Morgan Freeman be relegated then to supporting? No, because Free, Free, Freeman's the other main character, and he's the voiceover. Yeah. Um, so he does, he's pulling double duty there, really. And, um, you know, I, I think stick with Freeman. I mean, I think Freeman is more of the standout actor and character in this movie. Okay. Um, Do, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't put Tim Robbins in as well? I don't know. I'm on the fence. It just depends on the other actors who are listed at that point. The Paul Newman thing, that's, that's far-fetched for me. I mean, it's the mid-'90s. I don't even know what that movie is. It seems like I've not seen it, but yeah, considering his his age at that point, right? Not um, a big deal. And it, deal it, right, right. And it it strikes me as I mean, when you think of Paul Newman, there's a lot of great roles that come to mind. Yeah, that's not one that comes up for me. That's that's not one that that really jumps out at me. Right. So it seems probably like they they see Paul Newman, and at this point, you, you got to remember with Tarantino with Pulp Fiction, there there may have been a bit of a backlash against the newer movies, you know, that, mm-hmm. that indie nineties thing, whereas right. a lot of the voters, you know, especially at this point, older white males. Yeah. They may look at Newman and, and, and nominate him, but Tom Hanks wins. Do we think that Morgan Freeman should win over Tom Hanks? 
Hey, that's a tough one. I don't know. I, I oof, that's just down to the needle for me. Um, they're both I think great. So. I, I think it's, it's um, tough. It's well, the, tough. Reason, and the reason why, because I love Tom Hanks. I think Tom Hanks is a fantastic actor, but I do see a lot of Tom Hanks and Tom Hanks movies. Um, in this one, it's not the same not, old yeah. Tom Hanks thing. And that's what yeah. bumps him up, you know? Right. Um, My problems with Forrest Gump are not with the performances by any means. It's more, more a script issue. I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough question, but uh, I think I'm going to stick with Hanks. I think so too. I think we get to, I think yeah. we get to keep Hanks. Morgan Freeman, definitely deserving. Hey, if there was no Hanks that year, it's Freeman. I agree. I, I agree. I, I would, I would put him number two of, of, mm-hmm. of those that are nominated, but we may change that. We ch- may change that list of nominees as time goes on and we watch right. every movie ever made. Exactly. So I think, you know, and another thing I wanted to look at, another category that I wanted to look at is not necessarily one of the major, major ones, but I, I think we wanted to, I, I wanted to take a look at it because I don't necessarily agree with the winner. Best, at this point, it's known as Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, back in 94's uh, Best Screenplay Based on Material Previously Produced or Published. I can see why they changed it. But uh, Forrest Gump wins based yeah. on the no. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. The, the Forrest Gump book is is kind of crazy. He goes into outer space, and it's 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 just not a the, – the movie is better, but the book is is, is strange – uh, to say the least. Other nominees, Madness of King George, Nobody's Fool, Quiz Show, and, of course, Shawshank Redemption. Do, do we put Shawshank's script over Forrest Gump's script? Yeah, I think we do. I think you have to. Yeah, I think you have to. I think that's a thing. You know, Forrest Gump is very quotable, but I think Shawshank is quotable as well, and I think I, I think you have to, I think you have to give it uh, to uh, to Shawshank. Yeah, I agree. I think Shawshank deserves that one. Um, you're getting the, you know, uh, it's just, I mean, you, you, you got the whole movie in one location. You, you got to spruce it up and make it good. And that's what they did. Um, and that's why, I, that's my big reason is, is you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's scary when you're in one location. It's like, what do you, how do you make it so it's not boring at some point? And it, it, for me, there wasn't one part of the movie that was really boring. So I think they, right. I, I agree. Part. I think we have the Shawshank. So con- congratulations, Shawshank. You have won your first Oscar. Uh, de- depending on our uh, how our poll goes, you may win Best Picture as well. So Derek, we now come to the most important part of the podcast, and that is when you get thirty seconds to convince me to convince our listeners that this episode's movie, Shawshank Redemption, is the greatest movie of all time. Are you ready? I'll never be ready for this, but, uh, you know, these are tough, okay. but, yeah. These are tough. I'm going to say go, and you go. One, two, three, go. Morgan Freeman voiceover, absolutely unbelievable. Some of the best acting you'll ever see in any movie. Uh, the conversations, the script, the uh the scenery the uh the camera work uh uh the, the the villains in the movie everything is just so spectacular um it's two and a, it's two hours and 22 minutes but it feels like it, it's it's shorter than that because it goes by so quickly um it'll please you it'll make you sad it'll make you laugh it's got everything you want in a film um it's just very spectacular it's it's the 
one of the is time. Okay. Derek, you made a great effort. Perhaps some of our listeners are convinced that this is the greatest movie of all time. Perhaps some don't believe so. Let us know. Like we said on social media, find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, email us. And we will definitely, uh, if, if we have, yeah, we'll read your opinion on the air and uh, give you a shout out. But uh, yeah, watch social media and, uh, and, and, and reply, definitely. And, and do us a favor, you know, likes are great, uh, shares are great. Please comment if you can. Give comment. us some feedback. Uh, get, get in a conversation with us. We'd love it because it's just going to ramp us up even more and yeah. we're going to give you as much as we can. Absolutely. And spread the word. You know, we want more listeners. We want more people getting in the conversation. You know, we, you know, like we said, as much as, you know, we love movies, we're just a couple of uh, straight white guys who grew up in the same town. So we have a certain perspective and we want to hear yours. Exactly. Yeah. So if you think Derek, I'm a bag of shit, then let me know. Well, I mean, I think everyone knows you are. Okay. Well, that's fair. So let's talk about next time. You know, we've, we've been to prison. <laughs> dinosaurs in prison. We've done dinosaurs. We've been to a theme park. We've been to prison. And we're going to stay in the same year. Yeah, 1994. And we are going to Disney's Africa. Oh, yeah. And we're going to watch the animated classic, The Lion King. And we're going to see if that is the greatest movie of all time. Derek, are you looking forward to The Lion King? I am. I'm excited. I haven't seen it in a while. I'm excited to, uh, not only is it, not only is it a Disney cartoon, but it's also a musical. So maybe me and Rick will pull out some, uh, maybe we'll pull out what the, uh, the, the best song of the, the film is as well. Maybe, maybe. To be clear, this is the animated version from 1994. This is not the newer version. Right. Uh, this is Jonathan Taylor Thomas. This is not Michael B. Jordan. One day, I promise we'll do a movie not in the 90s, but next week. This is, this, is, this is Rowan Atkinson, not, not the British guy from that show on HBO. Not John Oliver. Name. Rowan not Atkinson. Oliver, thank you. I knew, I knew, I knew you'd bail me out. This is, this is James Earl Jones, not James Earl Jones. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, I have been your co-host, Rick Barrasso. I have been your other co-host, Derek Smith. Keep watching, everybody. See you next time.